Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Maybe you've heard it, but ever since I did, it's one of those jingles that just every now and then pops into my head and I keep singing it. It's odd because it's a commercial. I hear it on the radio, see it on television, and it's an ad for the treatment of psoriasis. Have you heard this? Nothing is everything. Now, if you've heard that, and you've heard it as much as I have, you're probably singing that song in your head right now. At least the tune is going through your head. That's what advertising is all about. That's when it's at its greatest, because when it gets a hold of you, when it gets inside of your head, and it's just constantly moving around, they know they have you. And if ever you are looking for something that involves them, that tune will bring you to them. It started me thinking in a spiritual way about that slogan that they use, nothing is everything. And I wondered, is there indeed a spiritual application well, in fact, I found it right here in Proverbs 13 and verse 7. That made me think. I think sometimes we overlook the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to, every now and then, I want to preach a point from Proverbs. If you have a favorite proverb that you really like, why don't you write it down and hand it to me? And I'll stir it in. The Proverbs are powerfully packed words that provide so many great things to us. Today I want you to think with me about how this concept, nothing is everything, fits with what the Proverbs writer is saying. First of all, there are people who have messed this thing up. They look at that phraseology and they have really changed what is a good way to look at it. Years ago, a young man came into my office and he presented me a paper that he had written and he laid it on my desk. And he said, I have dismissed everything that I have ever been taught, everything I have ever believed, and I'm starting over. And here is my first work. Would you be surprised if I were to tell you that that young man is no longer sound in the faith as Scripture teaches. To have that mentality, that's exactly what's going on with people who use this. I have this writing that I found. 
And if you don't have an outline, I want to read it to you. If you do, you can see it there. Here's what it says. With respect to nothing is everything. You realize that nothing is really everything and everything really is nothing, but in so doing. You realize, notice, what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad. And you no longer question this. You begin to know more of what makes you feel good and less of what makes you feel bad. And your whole demeanor changes. This man is offering a whole brand new way to look at life. He says, you question everything and you set it all aside. And having set it aside, you don't question this. Here's what you don't question. I'm going to do what I feel makes me feel good. And I'm going to avoid what makes me feel bad. That's what you don't question. Because nothing is everything. And everything I've ever been taught that has any kind of restriction or absolutes no longer exists. I'm going to do what I feel like doing. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I'm going to avoid what doesn't make me feel good. That is going to be my life. We can probably summarize the book of Ecclesiastes with that mentality. Notice, if you will, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the writer here is discussing the concept of nothing is everything. The idea of saying, I'm putting it all away, and I'm going to do what makes me feel good, and I'm going to avoid what makes me feel bad. We begin in verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Notice, I set my heart to seek out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness, and I've gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly, and I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. He set his heart. Solomon said, I made a conscious decision. I made a conscious decision. 
I set everything that I had ever known, everything that in my wisdom I had gained, all of this information, and I just set it over here to the side. And then I backed off. And I said, now, I'm going to reinvestigate everything. I'm going to know madness. And I'm going to know folly. And his whole goal in Ecclesiastes seems to be when he said, I want to see if I can know madness and folly while at the same time holding on to my wisdom. He pursued a life. He pursued a life unfettered, unbounded, unrestricted. Instead of having principles, he had pleasures. And he made his life what felt good, and he got rid of what didn't feel good. But then he said, in the words of our understanding for today, after having said nothing is everything, I'm going to junk it all, I'm starting over. He, in fact, came to the conclusion that everything is nothing. We will pursue it from that direction tonight. But for today, the theme of Ecclesiastes was a man who said, nothing is everything. It is everything to me to say that I have dismissed my life from what was before. I now am nothing. I set aside what my dad taught me. I set aside what I had seen in people around me. And he set aside what he had known from reading God's Word. It was nothing. Having done so, I now have everything. When I put all this away, look what the world opened to me. Now I can do whatever I want. Now nobody can say no. Nothing is everything. You can look at this that way. And when you do, there's going to be a materialistic view of what you find. Or you can have a spiritual view of the concept. Think with me about those two for just a few minutes. Number one, our identity can be a part of this nothing is everything. The Jewish people 
had a materialistic view. Nothing is everything. We're going to make sure that everything in life is tied to this idea, our identity. I'm setting aside everything else. Nothing else matters, just this. Their mark of identity as a people before God was the physical concept of circumcision. And that became a wedge. That became the descriptor of what everything is about. In fact, we read about a sad case of how this played out in the book of Galatians. Paul encountered a situation when he found, as he was visiting, this mentality of identity is so ingrained in those Jewish people that they just could not get away from it. Verse 11 of Galatians 2. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, for he was to be blamed. For before certain men came down from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, the Jewish identity wrapped up in this one thing was everything to them. Nothing else mattered. And he pushed it so hard that he created a division among Christian people. We know that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 19, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commands of God is what matters. Here's what's going on. Their identity wrapped up in something that they could use as a wedge. Is that possible with us? Is it possible that we, as God's people, could have something that we take as an identity mark that drives a wedge in such a way that says, oh, we're better than you? We're holier than you. God loves us more than he loves you. There are all kinds of things that as a church, we could say, this is who we are. 
These are things that identify who we are. And those things either can have a spiritual view that nothing else matters except everything that God says. Or we can have the materialistic view that the Jews had. We're better. You're wrong. And we want you to know it. Which one of those two views is more likely to draw people to want to know Jesus? And which one of those views makes us drive deeper into the person of Jesus? That materialistic view or that spiritual view? Our works are a part of this nothing is everything. Genesis chapter 11 Following the flood of Noah, the world had now grown many, many people. And it says about these particular people that they said they had one speech and one language. And they said, now, lest we are separated around the whole earth, let's come together. And we're going to build a tower that goes up into heaven. And then they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's do this work so that everybody will see us. Let's do this work that tells how great we are. Let's go into this activity, build this tower and say, look what we have done. Nothing else matters. Everything is about working, doing our thing, and bragging about it, how strong we are and how great we are. Nothing else matters. Now I know that Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. Physically, what did you bring into this world? The body you have. That's all we brought. What are we going to leave when we leave this world? What are we taking with us? The body that we brought. That's it. And therefore, what he's saying is this. When we have this mentality of how great our works are and how we want to be seen and we want to be known and have a great renown and go after all of these kinds of things, those don't matter. Is it possible that we could fall individually or congregationally into the mentality that says... Look at all the great work we're doing. Pat us on the back. Give us some recognition. We want to be known as the church that does all of these things. And there's a lot happening. We had a conversation a week or so ago. I did with the elders. And we're talking about all kinds of things that are going on many of which you may not even be aware. And there's some really big things that are happening too, and we get evidence of that 
things that are happening that involve numbers and people, and we're rejoicing in it. And those are true. They're happening. But it's possible that we could be so caught up in wanting to be known and patting ourselves on the back that nothing else matters. That is everything. Or the spiritual view says, look what all we're doing because of the grace of God. All of this is going to God's glory. All the people who hear, all the people who know, all the people who are influenced goes to the glory of God, not to the glory of the Richmond church. Which view pleases God. But finally, we can also be caught up in the idea of security and finding peace in this world so much that nothing else matters. And if I don't find security here, if I can't make sure that physically I'm in good shape and everything is good going forward, then I'm a nervous wreck. I love these words from Isaiah in chapter 40. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. What does God think about national security? What does God think about nation building? What does God think about all of this physical security and physical well-being that we pursue so hard? It's like dust on the scales. He lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. Lebanon, not worth burning. And all of its beasts, not worth a sacrificial offering. Finally, all nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him as less than nothing and worthless. It's not a good thing happening overseas. It's a time of tension for Christian people in the Ukraine and in Russia and around the world. It's a very difficult time to live in our country with the effects of what's going on there. And a materialistic view would say the only thing that matters is that the gas prices go back down. The only thing that matters, I'm so consumed. Well, I just can't get the supply chain opened up so that we can have building materials at a proper price because we want to build. And we can get so discouraged, so distraught, that the materialistic view would take over 
Nothing else matters. This is everything. Or we can have the spiritual view that the psalmist gives us in Psalm 39. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as hand breaths and my age as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up treasures and does not know who will gather them. The spiritual view says, yes, that's bad. But the life on this world is uncertain. And it's all going to end someday. And I'm going off into that eternity. Nothing is everything. Can have a materialistic view. Or it can have a spiritual view. I want to close with that one. When Jesus was on trial in front of Pilate to be crucified, the Jewish leaders wanted him crucified. So Pilate took him and tested him, interviewed him. And when he'd finished the conversation, notice what he said. This man has done nothing worthy of death. He died. And guess what? The nothing of which he was worthy to die became everything to you and me. Nothing was as important as him giving everything for you and me. Which view defines your life right now? Looking at all of the things of this world in a material fashion? or in a spiritual fashion. Let us be drawn to consider Jesus and to think about the spiritual benefits that overcome the materialistic challenges. Today, if you're not a child of God, we would love to see you become one of His, immersing you into Christ today, praying for you whatever you need, Meet our shepherds as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., 
and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.